We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast for Thursday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, the final day of 2020. We are getting ready for week 17 of the NFL action. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We have a ton to get to. There are a lot of seeding situations still up for grabs, some playoff spots still up for grabs. So a lot of teams with a lot to play for this weekend. But week 17, as always, it's got some some wild names that are going to be on the fantasy radar, potentially determining your fantasy championships if you play into week 17. Uh, and it also creates a very fun, interesting uh, situation for, for DFS purposes as well, of course. So that's my favorite thing to do for, for week 17. Uh, before we get into it, uh, Mario, how did you finish out uh, as far as your season-long uh, leagues were concerned. How'd you do in that dynasty championship? Well, I lost to Jake. Uh, he had, uh, he didn't end up getting that big game from Henry. He got a big one from Taylor though. And, uh, some receiver, I can't remember. My team is just, uh, ravaged at this point. Like I was, I was starting like my running back six or something. I had Edwards Hilaire, James Robinson. Um, and then, also, Will Fuller was a big part of my otherwise good season. So him being suspended, those two running backs being out. Uh, there's some other kind of nonsense that I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, just stumbled. Like, I was just I was just limping through in all my playoff teams that made the playoffs. And, uh, yeah, at Stake League, I went against Parr, who had, like, 170 points. And uh, 
just just I, I didn't limp to the finish line. I just uh, I limped a long time before it and fell over some distance short. Did not quite finish the race. Yeah, but that happened to me in a, in a couple spots. Uh, the one um, big league that I was able to take home the, the championship in, um, I, of course, was the beneficiary of Alvin Kamara's Christmas Day. Oh, nice. Uh, six touchdown performance. Really, I had a lot of other kind of mediocre to bad performances elsewhere on that team but but Camara really helped smooth a lot of that over That's I had Le'Veon Bell coming in yeah, yeah that <laughs> that will just kind of fix whatever ails you so that was able to carry me to to the ship in that one so that's two years in a row where uh where the the lead or the teams where I've had Alvin Kamara and I ended up winning so I'm gonna have to uh, rehash that strategy again in 21 um but let's go ahead let's dive in week 17 uh, last week of the regular season, we'll kick things off in Foxborough. We've got the Jets going up against the Patriots. Expectation is that Cam Newton will remain the starter um, as as of the time that we're recording this one. The Patriots three-point favorites against those red-hot New York Jets. What's going on here from a fantasy perspective, Mario? Uh, probably not much. I guess there might be something in some running game here, but it's hard to imagine anyone throwing in this game. Maybe if Cam's still three-down player the whole game, maybe he can do something against this Jets secondary. Like, Bryce Hall looks pretty good. I don't know if Javelin Guidry's still out, but uh, they just are running kind of like a practice squad secondary, which means there might be a chance for New England's practice squad receivers to, to get open a little bit. Uh, Jacoby Myers is is not just a practice squad player. Of course, he's good. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's obviously Cam has his actual – issues to deal with too it's not just that his his receiving group is bad but uh i just don't know if they're actually bad in this matchup so if if cam can't do anything here then i i I might blame him for this game even though i'm I'm prepared to make excuses for some other parts of the way his season has gone oh for yeah for sure but yeah the spot again against the jets here who you know should be trying to lose obviously have have won uh two straight um you know this should be a spot for him to have some success um, on the Jets side, um, like you mentioned, the, neither team might be able to get a ton going through the air. But I mean, we saw you know some big plays being made in the Buffalo passing game against the Patriots that, that did not have uh, Stephon Gilmore. Is there anyone on the Jets that could potentially you know challenge what the, what these Patriots are, are doing defensively? I don't really see it. I think that the Patriots kind of just fell apart over the course of that game and Dable made some kind of adjustment at halftime where Diggs went nuts in the second half. Uh, I think, I think uh, what you saw was kind of Dable making an adjustment in the second half that the Patriots just didn't really have a response to, especially when you're talking about a receiver like Diggs. So uh, I don't think that it's easy to go against that Patriots defense. I think it's just the the bills have a lot of ammo uh, in every sense coaching personnel wise that the jets don't have so i think i like i like sam darnold i i know that this is insane to a lot of people but i'm just not really willing to open a discussion on it like i think darnold's good i think the jets are the problem here um yes. but there's still the problem here and the patriots you know they'll lose to the brian dable peak bills but if if you're a normal team you're probably not going to do that well against them and when you're a bad team you're probably going to do quite poorly against them yeah, and touching on that on that Brian Dable uh, halftime adjustment detail, um, that that's the second time, and I, I guess I, I mostly Pittsburgh I pay the game. most attention to to the Bills on those nationally televised games. But yeah, against Pittsburgh, you know, 
he found something in that in that Steelers defense to where Diggs just absolutely dominated and took that game over in the second half. And we, we saw it again, like you said, on Monday night. So interesting detail just for the, the Bills uh, moving forward for as long as Dable is there. He'll, he'll obviously be a big time head coaching candidate. But um, anything else to add on to this um, Jets Patriots game before we move on? No. All right. Same. <laughs> Let's go Vikings Lions. So this is one of those week 17 games where there, there's just a, a whole mess of guys that you may or may not have heard of before that are going to be fantasy relevant in this one. Obviously, on the Lions side, Matthew Stafford is dinged up. Um, Kenny Galladay is not going to be playing. So that, that puts a cap on, on what's been a lost season for him. Uh, on the Vikings side, Dalvin Cook um, away from the team uh, following a, a death in the family, tragic death in the family, of course. So he will not be playing in week 17. So that makes guys like Mike Boone um, and Alexander Madison back on the radar um, for this one, Amir Abdullah potentially as well. Um, so let's go ahead and unpack this one for, from the fantasy perspective as far as what you're looking at um, in this Detroit Vikings matchup that's a little bit uh, topsy-turvy. Yeah, I guess I would expect Minnesota to take it seriously at the coaching level just because Mike Zimmer has a reputation to tend to. It's not doing as well these days, and who knows, it might be uh, – Maybe it won't matter what happens with this game, but if, if they come out and look flat against the Lions, maybe all of a sudden there's there's some sort of renewed, more focused effort to get Zimmer fired. And maybe if they win a game like this soundly, he can keep the kind of dimmer Vikings fans believing like, ah, see, this we were close this year. We just had some <laughs> bad luck. I think if we stick with Coach Mike, we can really get it in 2021. All we need is a whatever, you know, a we just need Daniil Hunter back or whatever. Um, but if they lose this game to the to the Chase Daniel, just idiot Lions, no one's going to feel that way about Zimmer, you know. So um, I think that Madison sh- uh, should set up for a pretty big game if the usage is there. I don't know how how much of a given the usage is. Against this Lions defense, especially guys like Boone and even Amir Abdullah definitely can move the ball. So I don't think they need Madison to do anything. But you know, if they if they want to go with him, he sh- he should roll because this Lions defense is really bad. And in a matchup like this, to have Kirk Cousins and those Vikings receivers versus you know the cumulative effort of of the Lions and the kind of field positioning and and script setups that they're likely to give the Vikings, it should be totally in control for for the Vikings to just run the ball at will. I yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, I do like Swift on the other side though if okay. Kendricks is out. Sure. Now that that's a huge detail, of course. But uh, yeah, when it when it comes to the Vikings, like if you are playing out the the week seventeen, like would you feel confident um, in, in starting someone like a, a Madison as like your RB two? Yeah, with so many guys down too, it's like I've I've never felt this disoriented at the end of a regular season. Just like I mean, COVID's part of it, of course. So sure. uh, if you if you got a guy who's expected as a starter for a team that's a seven point favorite over a run defense as bad as the Lions, um, something could still go wrong, of course, in the way that anything could. But as far as details that you can actually know and control ahead of time, it doesn't really get much more of a green light. No, def- definitely not. And then on the um, on the Lions side, if it is Chase Daniel, David Blau, whatever it may be, instead of Matthew Stafford, uh, are you in kind of like need to bench mode for guys like Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu? Not really. I don't 
I don't know what to make of the Sanu thing. I hate how they're trying to make their offense as slow as possible uh, with those receivers. Like, we got to get everybody who runs a 4-7. If, if you're faster than that, hit, you're hitting the bench. But I think that uh, Marvin Jones, you know, it's like he's he's still okay. And he, he knows how to play a receiver. These rookie corners for the Vikings probably can't match his overall savvy or whatever, even if he's not an imposing athlete, and even if he has a bad quarterback throwing to him. Uh, so I think you can feel optimistic about that. And for whatever it's worth, I'm pretty sure the Lions do have an interest in feeding Marvin Jones because he's a free agent. So if they can keep his free agency value alive, they might be able to get like a fifth round, sixth round comp pick out of it. And, you know, either way, it's like they're not – they just have a, they have a reason to try to drive up his price tag basically. And it's like – who else is going to play in the meantime? It's not like they need for evaluation purposes to go with anyone else instead. So uh, they could do that because I, I don't trust any, like the lines I don't trust to, to be well run, even if Patricia's gone. Like it, it, it seems in fact like they're quite uh, like that Marvin Hall cut. Like that's a team that doesn't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't think uh, quite specifically, they're not thinking about their comp pick situation, their free agency situation. So uh, they might throw Jones like on the bench or something for, for some, you know, ridiculous short-sighted reason, but they should try to feed him because if he gets a decent contract and a starting role, they might get a free draft pick out of it. And absolutely. So hopefully that, you know, it would be counter to the, the precedent they set earlier this year, like you said, with the Marvin Hall thing, but, but maybe uh, they come to their senses a little bit and, and uh, keep uh, Marvin Jones uh, fixed in the game plan for this weekend. Let's go over to Dolphins versus the Bills. This game obviously has some playoff implications to it. The Bills currently sitting in the two seat, in the two spot in the AFC. The Chiefs obviously have uh, the number one spot uh, wrapped up. The Bills also have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Steelers. So the Steelers not using Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday. So it's almost like a gentleman's concession that that they might lose this one. Um, and the Bills will be playing against a Dolphins team that, that obviously needs to get a win to remain in the playoff picture, um, given all the other everyone is like 10 and five in the AFC. It is it is a totally jumbled mess uh, <laughs> right right now. Um, but I expect this one to be a 60 minute game for, uh, you know, on both sides of this one could be wrong but we'll see you know maybe the bills start scoreboard watching and and you know start to rest guys like Diggs and and Josh Allen um, down the stretch of this game but as it stands I think that I'm I'm approaching this game as I as a normal one as far as uh, my bills guys are concerned yeah and I know that the Steelers might think that they're conceding by putting Roethlisberger on the bench but Rudolph I mean I hate the guy he sucks but he cannot be worse than Roethlisberger has been this year. Like De- Devlin Hodges cannot be worse than Roethlisberger has been this year. It's, it's memorable how bad he's been. But uh, in this particular game, um, it'll be interesting because uh, it seems like some of the betting money is, is thinking the bills do rest their guys, or I don't know how else it goes from five and a half bills to the over under falling four points and then one and a half bills. Mm. I don't think four quarters of Josh Allen and the fully focused Brian Dable offense are, are what, uh, I like I don't think that's co- uh, compatible with that sort of like uh, outcome for that game. So we'll see. Uh, I think that the like generally people would have been as- assuming like oh Josh Allen's going to kill the Dolphins because he killed them back in week two or whatever. And this Miami defense is probably quite a bit different than it was at the time. Like not just not just uh, in terms of like the approaches that they're using or like the 
the, the quality of the play. It's like they're they're they've got different personnel. They kind of have different ideas of who their best players are. D- different guys are, are featured than were featured back in certainly September. And the players in that scheme are better at it now. Like there's a, there's a point probably around like week five or six where you could tell the Dolphins kind of just started to learn the the coverages that the, that the Dolphins were going for. And when you have a bunch of free agents, a bunch of new draft picks, it's not easy to do that in the first month of the year, especially with the weird offseason that we had this year. So that Miami defense is dangerous, and it's specifically dangerous to a guy like Josh Allen at this point because I know Josh Allen's doing really well, but it's like if you're watching the games and the way this guy plays, I think it's pretty clear that Stephon Diggs and Brian Dable are kind of – smoothing some of the rougher edges and you know you got plays like last week where it's like throws an interception and there's an offsides on the play there's i feel like two weeks ago there was a couple sequences too where it was like very like it ended up being touchdown drives for the bills but there were like near disasters at several points before sure. and um like Allen has that disaster ability when the script goes some way that he doesn't foresee and like one that dable can't protect him from so if they get surprised by these coverages and, and Allen's not seeing things right he can just go into a shell um and then as the pittsburgh game and this most recent patriots game showed dable will probably figure something out in the second half if they want to if they care enough to try um so i don't know that's that's like enough sort of conditional statements that don't normally apply to the bills that i'm not as uh like I, i can definitely see like why the spread is going down the way it is it's just that if if those people are betting on four quarters from allen that seems kind of wrong so uh i don't know if, if uh, is, is does buffalo just kind of okay with losing this one because I, I don't think they lose it unless they're kind of okay with it right no exactly yeah if they, if they show up i think that they're winning this game especially you know you're the bills it's january orchard park and you have the dolphins visiting like i, I think that you know that they should be able to take care of business if if they uh really feel uh compelled to and i I'm sensing that they that they are, but you know, again, like you said, that the betting market paints a slightly different picture, uh, one that's a little bit rosier on the side of the Dolphins. When it comes to the Dolphins in this one, um, I know that the Bills, especially earlier on in the season, their defense w- was one that um, was underperforming. I think one that um, you know w- was not consistent with the brand that their defense had kind of uh, earned for itself over the last couple of seasons, but they've tightened up, I would say over the last uh, month or so of the season, I think they've been playing a whole lot better. Um, so I like the bills to, to be able to stifle this dolphins, um, yeah. offense. And I think also, I mean, I'm losing my faith in, in Tua talking about Iloa already a little bit. I'm not, I think the dolphins are doing a weird thing. They are. The, way that they're, the way they're managing them is weird and novel and stuff, but I think it, it makes some sense. I think it's just that their overall premise, you know, their, their overall um, logic, you know, s- strategy here is a little incoherent. And I think it's incoherent in that, like, they just should have left Tua on the bench the whole time. I know why they wanted to go to him. They Like, they went into this year believing we should get Tua on the field. We got to find a time to get Tua on the field. Why not after the bye? That way he gets time to be ready and we right. we give him a fair shot or something. And it's like, you're forgetting one thing. Your offensive line absolutely does not give him a fair shot. No matter what time you put him on the field this year, your offensive line is not good enough for, for a rookie 
to, to be in like a safe setting. So if it's, if you're pursuing this logic of like a safe setting for him, you have to just let it go. It's not actually going to be an option. If you're putting him on the field, it's because you should be prepared for the, for the, for like the fact that you're throwing him into the fire. You should, you should understand it in those terms. And they seem to be getting caught off guard by that being the case, which is, it's not the most reassuring thing because it shows they, you know, basically don't know what's going on. But I think that Tua is in a difficult spot because that offensive line, like it was supposed to be bad with Austin Jackson. He hasn't played this year, basically, if I remember right. Uh, the rest of the per- – they need like at least three new starters on that offensive line. And so when they say, we went to Fitzpatrick in this game because we needed to start throwing deep, I get it because I think it's them going back to the logic of Fitzpatrick starting this year, which is like we put him out there as a human shield for when Tua is going to get beat up for- from playing otherwise. And it's like – you are right to feel that way about these first six games or whatever it was, but you should also know it's going to be that way for the next 10 too. Mm-hmm. So um, they're, they're sort of being caught off guard by that is the weird part to me. Um, but I, I do think it makes sense. Like these deeper drops, these catch up situations, like that offensive line is going to make it hard on whoever the quarterback is. So you better put out some guy who doesn't care if he gets lit up and, and you know, <laughs> is, is okay with just chucking the ball when he doesn't know what he's looking at. Because Tua, you know, being a rookie, if he tries to do the things Fitzpatrick does, it's like the coaches are rightly criticizing him because you shouldn't be like Fitzpatrick. Uh, but with Fitzpatrick, it's just kind of baked in. They're like, oh, yeah, he's he's the hooligan quarterback. You put him out there to to make a circus happen when you can't win. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, that's that's kind of he's, he's fulfilling that role. It just it's just kind of a ridiculous role to have. It's yeah, it's not a role that usually exists on a team that's pushing for a playoff spot, you know? Right. And uh, for me, it was just kind of like just either go with the human shield or get an offensive line that can protect your quarterback. And they tried to have it both ways for some reason. Yeah. And it's it's created a, a strange rotation. And two has had some very strange stat lines, you know, 145 oh, yeah. yards on, on 26 attempts against the Patriots, 94 he has yards no help, though. You know, no. it's like I, I, I wasn't exactly a fan of his as a prospect, but it, I just I, I'm not. I'm not considering these past four weeks or whatever pertinent at all. Like it's kind of like a Darnold thing for me. It's like, this is just a botched sample. There's nothing you can mm. take from this. It's just tainted. Okay. I see what you mean in that, in that sense. Um, when it comes to uh, the, the dolphins from like a fantasy perspective, heading into this game against the bills, um, you know, we, we did mention that not a ton of help as far as w- what two has been working with, but um, do you like anybody, uh, you know, as far as you, your starters are concerned? Are you more uh, going after the, the Dolphins' backfield in this one, potentially? How do you see this from a fantasy uh, angle? Well, Miles Mal, Gaskin seems pretty good. I know Salvin Ahmed seems pretty good, too. But uh, Gaskin had that big pass-catching game last week. And now I know people might look at his box score and think, like, oh, well, that's an anomaly. Normally he's not very good. But I think you had... Uh, sort of signs of a breakout game like that in the stat sample before that game for Gaskin because all year he's been getting a pretty high target volume and there wasn't any explosiveness there but one thing that was interesting was in this high volume capacity he was catching like 80 82 percent of his targets or something like that so it's like people look at six yards a target or 5.8 yards per target and understandably just keep scrolling they're like oh this guy you know plotter whatever and it's like Actually, for playing that role in this offense that isn't very good, when you consider the the resources and the bandwidth that the defense is probably devoting to Gaskin, 
that's actually really impressive that he was putting up numbers like that. And it was the kind of thing that was like, well, if the, if the conditions get more favorable, he could maybe, you know, he could at the very least kind of leverage like five catch percentage points for like another yard of yards per target, something like that. Like when you, when you're well over 80 in the catch rate, it's like, you can, you can, there's, there's room for the, for the, for the numbers to kind of correct and, you the correction the, the the regression to the mean might actually be a gain of some kind um so yeah he had that big game and now it's like his numbers are more correct i feel like over the whole course of the year and you can kind of look at his averages now and think that's who he is rather than the first uh, eight games or whatever but gaskin looks good and ahmed he, he did well but when you're a sub 200 pounder and you're a speed back like it's going to be tough for him to uh take that workhorse distinction from Gaskin for the exact same reasons that it was when they were both at Washington. Hmm. No, that's a, that's a great point um, on that. Uh, yeah. Gaskin, great college player, obviously uh, at Washington. Ahmed um, always kind of tabbed as this um, really high ceiling guy that never quite hit it in college. That's why he, you know, ended up in the draft situation that he was, but you know, I, th- I think he's, he's a viable NFL talent, but Gaskin, the better one, um, at least at, at this stage. Um, so, yeah, he, he's someone that you can probably feel comfortable with uh, starting this week. Let's go over to the Bengals hosting the Ravens. Ravens, 12 and a half point favorites in this one opened up at 11 and a half. Um, Ravens need to win uh, in order to uh, lock down their postseason. But if, if they win, then they're in. Um, so they control their own destiny in that in that respect. The Bengals, though, I mean, they're showing a little bit of late season backbone, uh, a la yeah. the Jets, a little bit. I mean, we're, they're they're on a backup quarterback, obviously, in Brandon Allen, and you know they they beat the Steelers with with Ryan Finley a couple weeks back as well. So they're I don't think that they're a team necessarily to be taken lightly, especially the Bengals. Oh. They know they can play spoiler in this one, and you know. Uh, I think there is something to be to play for. The Bengals did play spoiler against the Ravens at the end of the 2017 season as well and knocked the Ravens out of the postseason there, too. So a lot of things to keep in mind for this one. But how do you see this one shaking out? Well, Baltimore should be fine. But like you said, the Bengals will make them actually earn it. It's not going to be a, a laying down uh, for the for the Ravens to, to get this win. It's going to like that 13 points seems like a lot to me. Uh, like I, f- I feel like the Ravens defense, of course, does have the advantage over this this Cincinnati offense, even though Brandon Allen did let well last week. But I don't feel like the spread is acknowledging the fact that Brandon Allen is a lot better than Ryan Finley. And if Brian uh, Brand- Brandon Allen's out there, T Higgins has a shot in a way that he doesn't normally. And when you have a star player like him, who's, who's kind of in play, uh, especially relative to a scenario where I think with Finley, he basically wouldn't be, that's, that's a huge distinction for how I imagine the, the Bengals going against the Ravens overall, just because I think Higgins can be a guy who takes over games. Um, and in this case, it's not likely that he takes over the game, but he could make it go less the way people have reason to believe at a glance. Like he, he can just kind of disrupt the narrative for this game a little bit. So I think that, uh, you know, I hate, I really hate the way the Ravens are running their offense. I think it's, I think it's clear they don't know what they're doing and that Lamar is basically carrying them. But I think uh, you know, going with Miles Boykin at left receiver and taking Devin DuVernay out of the offense, like you're playing 10 on 11 right now. Uh, but the good news is going against Cincinnati, playing Miles Boykin against William Jackson is kind of just, you know, nothing's happening there anyway. 
but it makes it that much more important that the Marquise Brown and the Mark Andrews targets land because if they don't, you just you missed that chance to land it, and you're probably going to see something like a double team if you try to run a look like that in the future. So then you're down to just like overpowering them in the run game, which might be easier said than done. So there's some ways for for Baltimore to feel some heat in this game, and I, I definitely don't want to take that 13 points. Uh, although I do expect them to to eventually win the game. Yes, I, I do too. Um, I, I think I saw a stat from earlier this this week that the Ravens are something like 40 and 0 in the regular season when, when favored by double digits. Um, but you know that this is this is not a game for for them to uh, take lightly, like you said. Um, People are and, not grasping how good T Higgins is either. Like I keep seeing, like, oh, he's having a good rookie year. He's he's making it interesting with Justin Jefferson. It's like he's. I know Justin Jefferson's having an insane year, and he is really good. But I would still take T over. I would take T over him now after previously being lower on, on T than the two of them. What he's doing in that offense with how bad the quarterback play is. Not not that it was bad with Burrow. It was just stressed with Burrow. Yeah. Um, Higgins is a star receiver. Like he might be a top like seven or eight receiver right now there we go and and, you know it's worth noting that marlon humphrey marcus peters and jimmy smith all questionable yeah that's uh and the thing is humphrey on higgins i think i take higgins to win that just because uh they they don't give humphrey much help either you know so it's like he's gonna get the the highest difficulty the least help and it's like t higgins is not a guy you play like that in the long term no one will play t higgins that way in a year Right. No, that he is really uh, coming on strong. And, and like you said, he's, he's about to really kind of put him put himself in that household name uh, type of category. So that that's definitely a tough matchup for, for Humphrey if he has to shadow him. Um, so, yeah, either way, that's going to be uh, one of the key matchups that, that could kind of make or break this one and definitely like uh, Higgins to perform well um, if your fantasy leagues are still going into week 17. Um, let's Let's get on over to or did you have anything to add to the Ravens backfield as I guess before we head on? Uh, they all should be good, but that's also the problem in it. <laughs> yes, always seems to be yeah that you can uh, have a difficult time projecting how it's going to shake out uh, one way or the other. Let's go over to Browns versus Steelers. So again, uh, the Browns, now in light of the news that Roethlisberger will not be playing in this one, the Browns uh, tr- going at nine-point favorites, according to the DraftKings sportsbook, going up against the Steelers. Yeah, uh, it feels like a lot of points to me, just because I don't think the Browns are that good. And I, I'm going to, un- until further notice, give them kind of the, the Browns bounce presumption, i.e. like they'll they'll just kind of be uh there'll always be some sort of like failure factor with them especially when the stakes get higher especially when people start to believe like maybe the browns are good now i think that's when they become the browns again and so it's (laughs) as a general rule anyway i'm not like specifically saying they're gonna blow this game but like i as far as teams who could blow it this week i would give the browns you know top suspect category because it's you know baker mayfield maybe he'll still be a decent starter but he is at the very least, in the meantime, very delicate. And if the script goes, and I, and by the script, I don't mean like the passing volume. I mean, if the terms of his pass attempts aren't consistently in favorable terms for him, he can just kind of train wreck. And yes. I, I know that the Steelers' defense is withered down, but 
I, I just think that even the Steelers at like 80% defense generally should be considered a favorite over Mayfield if he has to carry the game. So they need the running game to work, and it probably will. Uh, Chubb, especially if you let Chubb get to 20 carries, it's like there's there just seems to be a rule like gravity. You know, by that 20th carry, he will have broken like a 40-yard carry on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, if and if especially if it's like your defense is spending a long time on the field per drive, it's like that that moment comes sooner than you think. So uh, they got to make sure that they keep Chubb's carry count contained somehow, either by keeping their offense on the field or uh, baiting the Browns into throwing non-play action passes and and bringing out the the worst of Mayfield in doing so. Um, but yeah, if, if Chubb gets his carries. I don't think any defense can stop him over 20, 20 attempts. Most cases. No, I don't, I don't think so either. And, and that still applies even to a, a defense as good as, as Pittsburgh's. Um, what it, I think one of the bigger storylines that we'll have to pay attention to when it comes to um, that, this uh, Browns offense entirely is um, when these receivers come off the COVID list, that, that was obviously such a limiting factor for them. Um, Sunday against the Jets, but you know J- Jarvis Landry should should be ready to roll. Uh, Rashard Higgins, Kaderil Hodge, um, all, Donovan Peoples-Jones as well. Assuming that that Mayfield has those guys back there with him, is there any reason for optimism from from there? I know that we we just mentioned where things really do need to be going in uh, Mayfield's favor in order for him to have any sort of success, it feels like. But do you think that getting a, a healthy group of receivers that, that are legitimate NFL players can be something that, that fits that condition? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think that as bad as that situation was for Mayfield last week, he still should have played better. Like, I, mm-hmm. I still think that even if it's Marvin Hall and it's Jamarcus Bradley, it's like the Jets have the Jamarcus Bradley of corners playing right now. So how is that an excuse? I don't really see it. Um, but in any case, Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones are big upgrades, and they are you know familiar with Mayfield having practiced with him all year. So that that will help definitely. I I don't really want to recommend any of them because I think it's one of those things where it's like Mayfield won't play very well. The volume won't be very big. So if any of Landry or Higgins or Donovan Peoples-Jones have a good game, it'll be because they probably stumbled into a touchdown or two for reasons that have to do with the overall current of the game and not really much to do with them or their matchups. Like it'll be more it'll be more like a reflection of Cleveland logged, uh, you know, 15 snaps within the Pittsburgh 30. So Jarvis Landry got kind of like a a guy slipped in coverage off the bootleg kind of touchdown, that sort of thing. Okay, all right. That that definitely checks out. Um, And then let's get into like the the fantasy impact on the Steelers side of it with Roethlisberger being out. So I know we've established that Roethlisberger has played in an extremely low level, especially down the stretch here. Um, but, it, you know, if you have a Juju Smith-Schuster, if you have a Deontay Johnson, can you trust throwing them out there with Mason Rudolph? I I don't really want to say trust, but if you could have trusted Roethlisberger at any point this year, then yes. It's like Rudolph's probably terrible, but these receivers, as they've come to be understood as 2020 fantasy assets, should still maintain their general nature like i don't think rudolph harms that especially the way that he would harm it though if he did i think has to do with the way he spreads out the targets and i know a lot of people who don't understand anything about football watch deontay johnson or probably don't watch him they probably just look at his numbers they look at the dots 
they look at the the target count and their 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 PPR kaching noise in their head goes off for every single one, and they're just zonked out on uh, this this high of seeing so many targets, which is just the most beautiful thing to witness. Um, but if you if you actually watch the game and know anything any of the significance of the events that are occurring, you would look at that and say like, oh, the uh, the quarterback is bad and he can't throw it to like 80% of the field in any practical play setup. It's like Roethlisberger need, he can make throws in seven on sevens over the middle and stuff like that. But to do it in a real game, he basically needs some sliders to be put in. He needs like the, the linebacker coverage slider to be down to like 50% or something. Cause it's, ah. he needs, he needs like more wind up space. He needs more time to process things. He needs more time to set his feet and, and then reset them when he's trying to orient himself toward a certain angle on the field. And all these things just aren't possible for him anymore. So he looks at the snap and he, he correctly still understand. He still understands everything that's going on. It's not like Roethlisberger's dumb in this state. He knows he can't do anything. So he correctly concludes early in most plays, like, I guess I got to throw it at Deontay over here because, no, like, you know, no one's over there. And that's the offense. That's how it works. So I think Rudolph stepping in could harm uh, Deontay Johnson's target volume a little bit. It could, to be fair, change the ADOT. Like, they just might have D- Johnson running more routes downfield and maybe his target volume stays the same, which admittedly would be a problem for, for my narrative on the whole thing. But I think what instead will happen is you'll see more targets go to Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, even James Washington for the number of snaps that he's out there. So, yeah, I think you'll see more downfield throws, basically. I think this will, might hurt Ebron, too. Oh, okay. All right. So that good notes there, especially uh, on Deontay Johnson. You have with the artificially inflated target count with Roethlisberger back there. Mason Rudolph at least has the functioning arm, uh, like we mentioned there. So um, something to keep in mind for your uh, Steelers approach for DFS or for season long heading into Sunday. Uh, before we get on to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM subscribers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website. Use promo code ROTO, that's R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older of age to wager Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. If you're in Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800 889 nine seven eight nine if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-9 with it in indiana promotional offer not available in nevada moving on to our next game we got the cowboys going up against the giants kind of the undercard of the nfc east action on sunday um, obviously, we're going to be treated to football team versus the Eagles, um, kind of for our, all the marbles on Sunday night. But this one has some intrigue as well. The, the Cowboys, one and a half point favorites on the road, facing up 
against these Giants. Um, looked like Michael Gallup and company kind of came to life for this Cowboys passing attack last week. I know the Giants have a pretty uh, solid secondary, however, certainly more solid than, than what the Eagles were throwing out there. So um, any reason for, for concern when it comes to uh, some of these Cowboys pass catchers going into this one? I don't, I don't think we should expect it to look like last week very often where Andy Dalton has a legitimately big game. I think it's like if the Cowboys receivers do well in this setting, it'll be uh, kind of eking it out. It won't really be like Dalton propels this huge day for multiple people. You might worry about Amari Cooper against James Bradbury. Oddly, I wouldn't really. Like, I think that... Cooper is such a good route runner that cornerback matchups don't matter as much. Uh, he he can you can you can cover him with like perfect technique and stuff, and he just still can win because that's just what he's capable of. So I wouldn't really worry about him specifically. Like you, if you have him, you're probably starting him. And same with C.D. Lamb. Uh, I think he's kind of, in in most weeks he's the clear second guy behind Cooper. And I I feel like that applies here as well, Uh, even with Bradbury on Cooper and thus nobody of importance being left on Gallup. uh, I just think that the the Giants are pretty clearly a well-schemed defense and they've overachieved all year, which is generally the opposite of what the Eagles have been under Jim Schwartz. Like if anything, they kind of underachieved with him, which suits the Cowboys and might explain why why Dalton had a big game last week. But this time the defense will play well for its part. It won't lay down. And so um, I would I would expect Gallup to fall back to earth, especially. And I would expect Dalton to have maybe like an extra turnover or two relative to last week. Okay, yeah. So definitely a tougher setup than it was a week ago um, going up against the Eagles. And then for for the Giants side of this, obviously, the Cowboys have had some defensive struggles that they, you know, they force a lot of turnovers, obviously, on Sunday against the Eagles. But um, that's not always sticky week over week. Um, So what are you what are you expecting from this Giants offense heading into this one? Well, it should be a decent enough setup. I mean, Daniel Jones is bad, and he, I don't know if his his hamstring is making him worse than he usually is, but receivers like Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard can definitely get open here. If Evan Ingram is, is able to play or whatever, he can hurt this defense too. Uh, it's just, you know, what do you do about, you know, Jason Garrett, Freddie Kitchens calling a Daniel Jones offense. It, it, it's hard to feel good about any of it, but the receivers are good, and the, the defense – it's like if, if if there's a limiting factor on the Giants offense, it, it probably won't have anything to do with the Dallas defense. It'll just be like this is the failure, the unprovoked failure that the Giants are capable of. Yeah, yeah they absolutely are. And, you know, the, the personnel in and of itself, uh, not overly impressive. And, and Daniel Jones kind of like just lowers the overall ceiling, especially um, if when he's not at his most mobile. Um, obviously, he. Got sacked a bunch last week in Baltimore. I, I don't expect uh, him to to be able to move the ball on the ground as well. So that's one last one less thing for the Cowboys defense to really um, be stressed by. Let's go over to the Falcons going up against the Bucks. Bucks six point favorites in this one. The Buccaneers, of course, took care of business um, in I would say impressive fashion. I mean, they they really just blew the doors off the Lions in, in that uh, Saturday early game last week. Falcons uh, deftly found a way to lose, uh, snatching that that sweet defeat from the jaws of victory against <laughs> the sleepwalking Chiefs last week. Um, how are you expecting this one to shape up? Well, I think it's uh, it's kind of risky to to get used to this good Matt Ryan. Not that Matt Ryan is bad. It's just that when he doesn't have Julio, uh, games like last week, I think are 
pretty clearly on the higher range of his outcomes and, and you don't want to presume a future based on that outcome. So I'm worried about Ryan falling back down to earth. But when I look at the individual matchups for the Atlanta pass catchers, assuming Julio is out, I still think you can feel really good about Calvin Ridley. And I don't normally, uh, I don't as a rule feel that way when Julio is out. Sometimes I actually worry like Matt Ryan becomes so bad in this game that it negates the target share advantage that Calvin Ridley gets by Julio sitting out. I don't think this is one case because the Tampa Bay defense has been pretty aggressive with its man coverage calls all year. And specifically they try to put Carlton Davis on the other team's number one receiver as a rule. And I don't think it's a, I don't even think Carlton Davis is quite so good that they need to feel that way. Like he's no, like he's not as good as like a Jair Alexander corner, let alone a Jalen Ramsey one, but they always try to put him on the number one receiver and without much help and in man coverage. And that's why I got torched so bad by Tyree kill. So if you call a defense like that against Calvin Ridley, you won't get the whatever, like the 80 yard touchdowns that you do with Tyree Kill, but you will give up like 175 yards on 15 targets or something because uh, Carlton Davis is a good corner, but basically no one can cover Calvin Ridley man to man press coverage. And it's unfair to expect Davis to do it. So if they expect Davis to do it, there's a chance that Ridley torches them for it. Uh, it's just a question of like, can anyone else in the Atlanta D, uh, offense do anything at all? And I think the answer is closer to no than yes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to, it's kind of just shaping up to be the Ridley show. Yeah, like you might see, I don't know, you could you could see maybe Ryan throwing for like 240 yards on like 40, 35 attempts, but Ridley gets 160 of those. If if they put him in single press coverage against Carlton Davis, Ridley will win that, and uh, it's it's just that simple. So they could alter their defense and try to do some double team stuff, try to give Carlton Davis some help, and if so, then I think the wheels might fall off the the Falcons' offense. But I don't know if if it's in the nature of the Buccaneers to call it that way. Okay, all right, that that definitely adds up. Um, and then on the Buccaneers side of this one, we do expect them to um, you know play to win this one because they're they have a, a game advantage right now for the fifth spot on the Rams, but uh, the Rams obviously have that straight up tiebreaker. So uh, they'll want to make sure they secure the victory in this one. Um, Brady obviously played pretty well or extremely well uh, last week um, before uh, getting pulled um, just to you know to preserve him. All these Bucks receivers seem to be playing at an extremely high level. Gronk is even looking really, really strong here down the stretch. So um, is there much that the Falcons will be able to do defensively to, to slow the Bucks? Maybe more than we guess. I don't want to say they're a good defense exactly, but I think a couple things are definitely true. That uh, One being like, maybe this defense isn't good in its talent level. Certainly the pass rush is crap. The defensive line, aside from Jarrett, not very good. But it's also true that they were probably worse under Dan Quinn than their talent level really dictated. Like they probably underachieved with Quinn and at the very least under Raheem Morris now they're overachieving, which it doesn't make them go from bad to good. But you can't just assume they're the same chumps they used to be. And I think Tampa Bay, you know, with Tom Brady being the state that he's in, he needs to have a chump as on the other side to play well. Like he needs to have a chump opponent or he needs to have so much help that he may as well be playing against a chump opponent. Like he needs a helpless opponent to play well. I don't care that he had a big game last week. The Lions are helpless. 
Uh, Brady bullied them like you could have predicted he would. Sure. I'm, all, I'm only surprised that they didn't run the score up more. Um, but Blaine Gabbert putting up the exact same numbers, I think, made clear what was going on. It was like, this, <laughs> this is not a real game. Um, the Falcons, you know, the, it's not something new for defensive teams or for defensive players, especially to like come alive for Raheem Morris. Like he's been an interim head coach before. And I feel like this happened at the last time too. Um, but he, he's going to have that defense playing better than it did under Quinn. They might have a legitimate number one cornerback in AJ Terrell, by complete accident on the part of Thomas Dimitrov, who basically just got up there when, when, uh, who was it that they they got sniped on? Uh, C.J. Henderson, the the the, uh, the Rams took mm-hmm. Henderson and uh, Dimitrov did that thing where he just leaves the position category tab open and then it auto drafts the next one and that's how they got A.J. Terrell. <laughs> um, but it looks like he's good and uh, Isaiah Oliver, it's like he he's not fast enough to play outside bump and run coverage, but he seems to be doing okay as like this. They're almost like making him into a Kenny Vaccaro or something like that, which which more suits his athleticism. So they've got some ability to give good reps at corner, and that enough is is or sorry, that alone is enough for me to start wondering if Tom Brady's going to struggle a bit because I don't think he can play at a compelling level. He can just enter circumstances where he has every advantage, and if he doesn't, then the whole thing is up to some sort of question. Even though I still expect them to win. Okay, no, that that's a that's an interesting angle that that you have on this one, and then you know how it how it relates to maybe how the Falcons could uh, be a bit of an of a inconvenience for this Buccaneers offense as they as they need to finish the season strong and get the win in Week 17, and then uh, from from a fantasy angle, um, it looks like Ronald Jones should be trending towards a return. I know he practiced on Wednesday, um, so. If he if he is back, you feel good about starting him. You're not worried about you know uh, Leonard Fournette, Lashawn McCoy, Keyshawn Vaughn taking over. You you think that Jones kind of re- recaptures his role? It was so great to see Keyshawn Vaughn get three carries for 30 yards and run the way that I remembered him being at Vanderbilt when I ranked him as the number one rookie running back in the class. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be vindicated on that uh, uh, by yeah, last no, week's that's, events. That's stamped. Uh, question, but no, I think um, I think Ronald Jones is. Like, I don't know what the COVID part means. Like, if he's if he's himself, I basically like the setup just because he has the the game trajectory advantage being a starting running back on a favored team uh, with it with like the clearly better defense in the matchup. So I like the, the situational details for him enough that I don't really think, um, you know, specifically about the matchup, which might actually be pretty challenging. I, I otherwise am just like I'm just deferring to the, the fact that like Leonard Fournette clearly isn't good and. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, you know, maybe he's fine, but he's not as good as Ronald Jones. Like Ronald Jones is, it's been a weird year and he's probably always going to be a little bit goofy, but he's pretty clearly, uh, closer to like that Miles Sanders category of talent than he is like the Kenyon Drake category. And um, not that he's different kind of players. I'm just thinking of like, well, who's like the running back 10 or 11 or whatever. And it's like, that's Ronald Jones and Fournette, whatever he is, is like 40, 45. And, you know, on similar. Yes. Yeah. So as long as Jones is himself, you know, that we should expect him to to turn in a start worthy performance. And then um, the the Falcons backfield, obviously a mess right now, Um, even coming off of of some decent uh, showing by like Ito Smith. Do you feel okay starting any of those guys against this Bucks run defense? Somebody's probably in a bad enough spot that it's the right call, but you don't really want to end up there. No, no, you certainly do not. 
All right, let, let's go over to the NFC North. We got the Packers going up against the Bears. This one's in Chicago. Packers five and a half point favorites in this one. Um, so things set up extremely well for the Packers. They, they do need to, to win, um, but they do have the uh, tiebreaker, of course, over um, the Saints. So that's that's worth noting that the Saints and Seahawks both 11 and 4. Uh, Packers 12 and 3 heading into this one. Uh, Packers sitting atop the, the table, of course, in the NFC. Um, but they can also kind of uh, do, you know, do good on, on two fronts by, by not only winning and securing that number one spot, but also uh, making things a little bit more co- or a lot more complicated for the Chicago Bears, their divisional rivals. Of course, the Packers playing great right now. I mean, that their performance on Sunday, you, you knew that when, once the elements kicked in that you figured that the Packers were going to be able to, to take advantage of that one against a team from Tennessee. But it was still uh, fun to watch nonetheless. And, you know, Devontae Adams having an incredible game. Rodgers playing at that MVP level. What do you think uh, happens here Sunday against a Bears team that needs a win? Well, going to Chicago and stirring up you know not not like the rivalry exactly but just kind of that history of of animosity between them that tends to bring lower scoring and like closer games as a general rule I don't know if that rule applies to a team like the Packers as they are this particular year uh, which is to say you know automatic they they have this thing going on where everyone seems to know where the ball is going but no one can stop it and I think his talent evaluation abilities are questionable and I I question some of his other uh, decisions that he's made but as a play caller Matt LaFleur is the best in the league right now like it's 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 a and specifically as the scheming setup it's like there's there's no analogous case in the league right now I guess it was like I don't know maybe Michael Thomas last year was the closest thing to Devontae Adams this year where uh and I think I think Devontae Adams is actually the better player uh, so I'm more impressed with the way he's done it. There's a lot more touchdowns, a lot more big plays you'll notice than yes. Michael Thomas in 2019. And part of that is Devontae Adams being as good as he is and Rodgers being as good as he is. Part of it, too, though, is LaFleur just keeps setting up these things that defenses – I don't know if it's like there's there's little adjustments week to week and that and the defenses are always like a step behind. I don't know if it's, if it's more like they've just got a form, formula that no one can seem to stop – uh, with the, re- the secondary pieces in the offense as bad as they are, it basically doesn't make any sense that Devonte Adams has been efficient as he's been this year, and it's it's because of the floor is the difference. If you have if you have Mike McCarthy running this offense, this this is the same output as 2018 Aaron Rodgers. Like that's mm-hmm. the degree to which I think Lafleur is is making the difference here. So if he doesn't have an off day with his game plan, I don't really know what the Bears can do to slow them. You know, uh, so I. I can imagine um, the Bears defense playing pretty well. Maybe Rodgers has an off day, but I don't think LaFleur will have an off day. And I think um, Mitch Trubisky is still hilariously bad, and this would probably be a good setting for him to make that clear to anyone who has somehow been confused otherwise in the past Yeah, I mean, the, the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, uh, again, it's good to kind of just get out in front of it. But, but yeah, like it, the, the Bears offense has looked good the last few weeks but they've they played all these terrible defenses <laughs> i mean if, if they if they don't score 40 on, on the jaguars then, then you're concerned you, they that, fixed that, mitch that mitch is good now uh, uh t- just in time if, for a contract extension yeah yeah <laughs> definitely guys you should do that uh, for, i 
I would have to imagine that that's very frustrating for for Bears fans. It's like, why why is he doing this now? We, we've already like tried to like get ourselves to move on. Why why is this happening? But can you um, imagine speaking with your own name to give a, an article comment that like maybe the Bears should sign Mitch? Like no, just you are a fool. Delete your uh, bylines. Yes. God, yes. Um, but what does that what does that mean for for is Sunday just one big regression to the mean potentially in that case? Yeah, because he had it so he didn't even play well last week. He still looked pretty ugly last week, and then the week before that it was their Texans, the Texans and their you know sub CFL defense. You could just see like this is not an NFL game. This looks like a preseason game at most. And uh, the, the Packers defense isn't even great or anything like they if, if they don't shadow Allen Robinson with Jair Alexander, then Allen Robinson is going to absolutely pummel Kevin King. Uh, but I do. I don't think that it's enough. It's like Mitch will be so bad that some of those opportunities will be missed, that some of those Allen Robinson opportunities will be missed. And, you know, it, it, as much as guys like Darnell Mooney, even Anthony Miller have some promise. It's like they can't make up the difference. They can't carry Mitch uh, while he's dragging down Allen Robinson. And if you believe in regression to the mean, I, I think you do have to kind of just assume that this is a setting where it happens because with Mitch, you know, it's going to happen. And uh, this is a, an actual NFL defense, even if it's not great. No, exactly. So I'm looking for the bears to, to take a step back offensively in this one. And, and that probably ends up, being the difference going up against the Packers who will, you know, if you're, if you're having to keep up with, with Aaron Rodgers the way that he's playing right now, uh, you know, I, I don't like your chances, especially when uh, you're Mitch Trubisky. Let's go Saints Panthers. Uh, this one in the afternoon slate for Sunday, um, the, the big fantasy uh, question out of this one with, with Mike Davis being doubtful and Christian McCaffrey being out Rodney Smith season. What's a, yeah. Well, he's kind of interesting, uh, and I don't know if listeners have picked up on this over the years, but I think, John, it's safe to say that we have a little bit of a truther thing going on with the Minnesota running backs, Rodney Smith, and uh, the guy who like broke his leg four times or whatever. Uh, uh, Shannon, Shannon Brooks? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I remember thinking, like, man, a couple of years ago, thinking, like, Shannon Brooks is good, because like, Rodney Smith is kind of okay, and Shannon Brooks is way better, and then... That, so Rodney uh, Smith getting on the Panthers as an undrafted guy and more or less doing the same numbers as Mike Davis when they would sh- when they would uh, shuffle him in, that was the last thing, the last kind of catnip I needed to be exposed to because it was just like I obviously didn't remember the guy's name enough uh, just now, but I, I remembered thinking like, hey, that one Minnesota guy is probably good still. Yes. I, yes. I, I, I'm back on it. Um, but no, in any case, I, I actually do think, you know, Rodney Smith could be one of those guys in the NFL who does Mike Davis stuff in a different year. You know, it's like you don't especially if you have an offense that's structured the way the Panthers are and, and functions at a basic level of competence. You can pretty much put any running back in there as long as they can stay viable on the passing snaps and you get numbers kind of like Mike Davis, kind of like Rodney Smith. But uh, in this matchup, it's bad setup for him because the, the Saints defense is just quite good, especially in that front seven. Uh, the Panthers, you know, they, they got some things going for them, but they're not they're not they're not like a serious comparison to the Saints in terms of talent. So. Uh, maybe if they were going against a bad defense, like maybe if they were going against the Raiders, I'd be like Rodney Smith day. But in this one, I'm worried about him finishing with like 10 carries for 28 yards and like four catches for 
20 yards or something. Yeah, I, I share the, those similar concerns. I think, this, yeah, that Saints defense is really, really, really strong, so that, that doesn't set up well for, for the Panthers in this one. On the Saints uh, side of things, uh, what have been your thoughts on the, the Saints offense since Drew Brees' return, and, and you know what, what does that mean for Sunday's game against the Panthers? Well, you're, of course, uh, starting Alvin Kamara, and like if you have a DFS lineup, you're probably considering him, too. I have to believe this is more of a Latavius Murray kind of game, especially if the the Panthers' offense fails to threaten the the Saints' defense, which that could go either way. It's like Teddy Bridgewater, he's just not good. But when you have receivers like those three, big plays can happen more easily than in other offenses. So it's there's always that possibility. And the bigger the game Bridgewater has, the, the more usage Kamara should probably get. But, man, the Saints really ought to be able to just give Murray like 15 carries and still get a safe win yeah that's what i'm thinking too they don't need to go max effort they don't need to exhaust uh camara a week before the playoffs especially if they're not going to be treated um to that bye week so yeah like that call on latavius murray for this week as a value running back potentially let's go colts jaguars colts 14 point favorites in this one uh colts you know, they, they had the Steelers on the ropes last week for what could have been a really, really uh, huge win for them. Ended up not working out, of course, uh, with the Steelers coming back and, and getting the victory over them on Sunday at Heinz Field. But luckily for the Colts and their, uh, you know, playoff aspirations, they get to play the Jaguars and the Jaguars are actively tanking. So that this should be a, you know, a, a slam dunk for the Colts. But um, as far as their, their production, where is it going to be coming from? Well, I would guess that any of the Colts running backs could produce against this Jaguars defense, especially with, like you said, the, the tanking that they are very clearly doing uh, and very competently. But yes. I think that, uh, you know, if, if I don't know how much work they want to give Taylor, but Taylor's here and uh, it's he, he looks insanely good. He already looks like one of the best running backs in the league just over the past few weeks. Um, and I, uh, you know, it's, it's just a question of like how many carries do they want to give him? And there might not be a need to give him any carries like Naheem Hines. Uh, I, I can't emphasize enough anyone who thought that he was better than Jonathan Taylor. It's like you you got to learn this stuff. Like that's that's a big one to get wrong. That's an easy one to get right. And you got it. It's one of those times you're trying to get it wrong on some level, whether you realize it or not. Um, but he he against the Jaguars. Yes, he can do something. But I'm a little bit worried about it being like 12 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown for Taylor. 10 carries for 65 yards for Hines and then like eight carries for, you know, 50 yards for jo- uh, Jordan Wilkins, something like that. Okay. So a bit, bit of a divided up uh, workload, but, but, you know, still, still clicking when, when it comes to Taylor, it's just, a yeah, it's, it should be a blowout, you know, backups play in blowouts. That's, that's absolutely true, but they, they got to get there and, you know, what to get to the blowout. Um, you, you imagine that Taylor would have a big part of it. Um, as if far they need as the, him, yeah. He'll, oh, yeah, he'll go off if they keep feeding him. No question. Um, as far as these uh, Colts pass catchers are concerned, um, are, you know, T.Y. Hilton come back down to earth a little bit um, last week. Um, Michael Pittman, obviously, still in, in the mix there. Uh, how confident are you in those guys going up against the Jags? I'm confident that I think, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like the running backs. It's like 
if you just tell me who's getting the targets, I'll I'll just say yeah they're gonna they'll be good. Uh, Pittman, Pascal, Hilton doesn't matter. I would I would put the money on Hilton I guess if I had to just because I I'm I'm a bit of a T Y Hilton truther. I've I've always been a really big fan of him and I'm not quite as high on Pittman as a prospect as most people. So I kind of view it as like one T Y Hilton and then two A is Pascal or, or two A is Pittman whatever two B is Pascal. Uh, it, it's 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 kind of like whoever gets it is just the one that the defense leaves alone and, and uh, could be those other two guys. It could be Hilton. I don't really know. Okay. All right. So that, that definitely checks out, but yeah, Hilton should be the, the main pass catching guy to, to target for your DFS lineups. Um, on the other side of this one, you know, for, for the Chark investors, for, for Chenault investors, uh, we are going back to Mike Glennon uh, for, for this one. So thoughts yeah, man. there. I can't really recommend it because, you know, it worked out fine enough last week, but it did not work out fine at all against the Vikings, and DJ Chark was open the entire game. So it's I love DJ Chark. I think Chenault could be pretty good. I think, uh, you know, even Colin Johnson might be pretty good if Keelan Cole walks. But even with even with Chark that good in my mind, I just I feel like Glennon can still ruin it. Yes, yes, he definitely can, and and you know the Colts defense is going to come to play on, on Sunday, of course. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that the Jags are going to be able to to move the ball a whole lot um, in Indianapolis. Let's go to the other AFC South showdown. We got the Titans traveling to Houston to face the Texans. Titans seven and a half point favorites in this one. Yeah, you got to put Derrick Henry's over under for yardage at like two hundred and eight and a half because. <laughs> Uh, you know, I would have I would have normally been like, ah, they'll probably save him for the playoffs. So he'll get like 80 yards and two touchdowns against this fake team, this fake defense anyway, and uh, that'll be that. They'll 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 give Darrington Evans some some warm up reps, something like that. But it sticks in my mind the way last year ended when Nick Chubb had the rushing title, and then the the, the Titans just like ran up henry's yardage count in that game to get him the title and if he gets over if he gets like 220 yards i think he gets 2000 on the year and a thousand percent i think vrabel is the kind of guy to to go after something like that and i can barely blame him like this texans defense is so bad like recall that david montgomery 80 yard touchdown and imagine how much faster it happens with henry Mm. like (laughs) with like three guys on his back too like it's it's like that's he, he can really go high volume, high efficient. He could set the single game rushing yardage record in this game. Dang. Okay. That's, I mean, I see it. Um, you know, like you said, that this is a Texans team that just really, really can't stop anybody. And it does feel like the Titans are hell bent on getting a lot of that volume uh, to Derrick Henry in this one, what, whether or not uh, he needs it necessarily, uh, he's going to get it. So, yeah, lo- love that spot for, for him. Uh, as the RB1 this week in all likelihood. Um, what are you looking at as far as the Texans side of this equation goes? Well, if Henry can't set the single game rushing record, it might have to do with Deshaun Watson scoring fast enough that the, the Titans need to throw a little bit themselves. And of course, if they do, that's a total green light too. It's, you know, it's like a aircraft carrier of space, that they they have to work with in that defense and it's you know AJ Brown doesn't need any help. Tannehill I think is basically a below average quarterback in a top 5 sort of playing situation uh, at least for his efficiency and things like that. 
and I think that Green Bay game showed how fake he is. Like the it, it it was a wrap as soon as there was pressure on Tannehill. And by pressure, it wasn't even like the pass rush. It was he needed to do something for them to win. It was just like, nope, not an option. He's not that kind of player. Luckily for him, against a fake defense like the the, the Texans, he can probably torch them without really even trying that hard. So mm-hmm. he sets up fine. It's just a question of how much Deshaun forces the Titans to, to go toward the pass. And he could really force it. I mean, I, I don't know what exactly to make of this this Tennessee secondary now that they've got Desmond King and Adoree Jackson in the fold. Like, those are two big upgrades over what they had for the first 12 weeks or whatever. Sure. But I don't know if any of those corners can – like, Malcolm Butler still is a 4-6 guy. Like, he's a, he's a Tampa 2 corner, and uh, Adoree Jackson can run, but he's still not quite as athletic as Brandon Cooks, and I don't think he's as good of a corner as Cooks is a receiver. So this could be another big game in, two in a row for Brandon Cooks. I think uh, after a slow week last week, Chad Hansen and Kiki Kuti also look like they could be good here. So I, I think Deshaun should have options, and the Tennessee pass rush shouldn't hassle him to the point that he misses any of those options. So, I, I, yeah, I, I could see this being quite a bit of a shootout because, uh, I, I don't know, Deshaun's really good and the, tech, uh, the Titans' defense still isn't. Yeah, the Titans Titans really really struggled defensively, and we, you know we of course saw that Sunday night against the Packers. We've seen it throughout the course of the season. Um, so yeah, I think there is a, a reason why this this one checks in with an over under of fifty six. Obviously, the, the Texans aren't going to be stopping anybody uh, on their on their side of things. But yeah, the, this this game kind of uh, profiles as maybe the centerpiece of kind of most of your like cash game bills maybe for DFS and you know you'll want to get some tournament exposure to this one as well because I mean there games with totals north of 50 this week are are hard to come by and this one you know strongly above it at 56 56 and a half and indoors yes yeah it is indoors yeah so so uh, other places not so much um let's go we got Chargers Chiefs no Mahomes in this one we have, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Chiefs three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home because the Chad Henney effect uh, back there at quarterback. We also got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, doubtful. Le'Veon Bell picked up a knee issue, apparently. Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins both listed as questionable at the time of this recording. Chiefs already have number one, uh, the number one seed stitched up as well, so that all of that explains why the line is sitting where it is. Um, are you going dumpster diving at all on on any of these Chiefs skill guys, even with Chad Henney back there? Uh, I don't know. I might be a little tempted by Mecole Hardman just because uh, Casey Hayward can't run with him even a little bit. Like if, if Casey Hayward has to match stride with Hardman for more than 12 yards, that's a significant touchdown risk on that play. So the, even if Chad Henney is crap, and he is, of course, and he was even when he wasn't an old crappy quarterback like he is now, he still might be able to make that throw. I just, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't really, I don't really like the idea of, of going at a team that's kind of like, I don't know how to say this right. Uh, the, you know, the Chiefs are, have this juggernaut reputation, and there's the kind of like that deference to them, but they just don't have any of their actual nature present at this point so right. it's, it's just kind of like a fake game and I, I don't know whether any at all of the past assumptions apply and if they don't then like why would i even feel better about the chiefs than i would like the jaguars or something 
Yeah, no, they're 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 not going to be putting up a yeah a a truly like win viable type of product on the field on Sunday, which totally fine. They've earned the right to do that, having uh, gone fourteen and and one. Um, so when when it comes to the Chargers, however, what are your what are your thoughts on, on them being able to take advantage of the of this um, you know shorthanded Chiefs team? I can still imagine Herbert struggling a little bit just because the Chiefs are a somewhat confusing defense to go against. There's there's a pretty unique way that they call things and their personnel is pretty unique, uh, varied too. So if if you're if you're a quarterback who needs to make things pre-snap read, it's not necessarily that easy to to figure it all out before the snap. And uh, for any rookie quarterback, figuring everything out after the snap is is a pretty difficult thing to do. So I can imagine Herbert struggling a little bit. What I can't really imagine is Eckler struggling, and maybe the, maybe there's something weird about you know the, the flow of the game that makes it hard for them to get him going. But I just think uh, if, if Eckler is going against kind of like your your uh, scout team sort of, as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I just don't think talents like him lose in settings like that unless there's some sort of other uh, you know sort of complicating factor like. You know, even if Herbert's bad, though, it's like that's not enough. It's like I need no. I need somebody to I need I need the whole offensive line to get injured or something like that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, maybe the Chargers don't go with that level of competitiveness. Maybe they're like, let's not overwork Eckler. This game doesn't matter. Let's uh, let's see if we can get Kalen Balaj's stats up or something like that's a, That's the bigger risk, I guess. OK. All right. That, that definitely makes sense. Um, and then when it comes to uh, these Chargers pass catchers, uh, what are you expecting here against the Chiefs? Well, I don't know what to make of Keenan Allen. Uh, I guess, you know, he sets up good or whatever. Fine, I guess, if he's in there. The the outside receiver question is tough because they've been rotating a lot, and it's it's hard to figure out the usage in the first place for the outside receivers in this offense. But Mike Williams, you know, he's their most talented one. I think Tyron Johnson is better than Jalen Guyton, but those guys split snaps. They, they both play two more than... I would expect – like, I'm surprised Mike Williams doesn't play more snaps than he's been playing. Uh, but in this game, you know, it's if, – if, if I guess I would say the more Herbert struggles in this game, the more I like the chances of Williams popping up because he seems to be who they go to when it's like, all right, we can't get Keenan Allen. We can't get Hunter Henry going. We need to just break – we need to loosen up the defense and go deep. And, like, I think that's sometimes the point in the script where, where Williams' card comes up. Uh, but this is all very, you know, speculative talk. It's it's hard to see anything reliable in that entire pass-catching group right now. No, that that definitely adds up as far as, you know, it's Keenan Allen's show when, when he's healthy and then, you know, everyone else. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky to, to get it figured out. Um, and even though the, the Chiefs won't be at, at full force – you know, it, it, this is a tricky uh, Chargers offense to try to sort through, uh, especially in the passing game. Let's go over to the Raiders versus the Broncos. If this game happens and nobody watches it, does it actually count? Unfortunately, yes. And <laughs> uh, I don't know what to make of anybody in this one. I mean, there's just such goofy ass teams, and the, the the Denver offense with Locke, it's truly a roller coaster all the time to the point that you don't want to take matchup details for granted. Like you don't want to be like drew Locke will probably be fine because Jerry Judy can get open against LaMarcus Joyner and because Tim Patrick can beat Nevin Lawson and because uh, whatever the other KJ Hamler against, uh, or, uh, yeah, 
the the Mullen corner. Uh, I think I think that um that uh you know those guys will be open or whatever. Like they that that actually is true that it sets up well for each of them. But Locke's just a total wild card. It, I don't think it matters at all what the defense is. It's like he has his days where he's just you know Rex, Rex Grossman has his days where the, the the pass is landing and sometimes he doesn't. Like it's just there's not really much meaning to any of it. <laughs> I mean that that's a great comparison and yeah. Lo- Locke, I mean, uh, from like a, a long-term perspective, obviously they didn't sink a first-round pick into him. Do you think that they at the v- either draft someone or maybe bring in a, a vet to compete with him heading into next season? Yeah, uh, it would have been nice to see Cam Newton in that offense because I think he would have done very well in it. But uh, obviously John Elway isn't dis- interested in that kind of quarterback. So I don't know what the veteran would look like. Uh Maybe it would look like Chad Henney or something. I, I don't know. What, John, John Elway is a fool of a man, and uh, he's 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 not truly committed to putting together the best football team. So I think he might continue to succeed in that respect. Yeah, no, he's batting a thousand in in, in that sense. Uh, ever since they they won the Super Bowl, uh, I found Trevor Simeon. What did you ever do? <laughs> there you go. All right, that's it. That's a good line there. Um, as far as the Raiders go. Uh, they blew it basically against the Dolphins multiple times. Um, I mean, not, not much else to I say. I mean, you yeah, say you it. say it more towards their defense, I suppose. The offense uh, still pretty fun. I mean, you got Darren Waller still doing well. Nelson Aguilar has been one of the more pleasant surprises of this entire season. Uh, how do they set up against the, this Broncos uh, defense on the road? Well, the Broncos were down to, like, their sixth cornerback last week. I guess, like, Michael Ojemudia and Devontae Bosby. Uh, that's that's not great. And Michael Ojemudia is pretty toolsy. Bosby isn't. He can't run with, like, Brian Edwards, let alone Aguilar. So that should be open. Uh, it's just that you don't really get a lot of direct man-to-man matchups in this defense. It's like you get a lot of zones that may alter over the course of a game or over the course of a season and you just kind of need the quarterback to, to read things right after the snap, before the snap. And I think Carr generally will be fine there, especially with Fang. Fangio does not have a full clip to work with, you know. Like, it's it would be one thing if he had all his guys. If he had Bryce Callahan and, and A.J. Bouye, then I'd be worried for Carr. But uh, Carr can probably figure this out. He's 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 a guy who's who's gotten this far largely by doing fine in games like these, you know, circumstances that don't matter. He, he, he looks just good enough that you never quite uh, summon the resolve to just cut him or bench him or whatever. So a guy like that largely survives by, you know, meeting uh, minimum demands in settings like these. And I think he'll probably see to that, I guess. Yep. That's it. Yeah. That's about all you can say there. Uh, let's go cards, Rams. We got the Cardinals. Minus three in this one. Looks like Kyler Murray will be good to go for for this one. Jared Goff, much more of a question mark. It doesn't look like it after, or he was officially ruled out um, after yeah. undergoing thumb surgery. Um, so we, we're going to be treated to John Walford and uh, with Blake Bortles as the backup in what is actually a, a fairly important game for these uh, Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, man, it's pretty wild. Uh, Malcolm Brown is, I guess, going to have to carry the team. Yes. Like, there's, like, who, who even, I don't know who they're fourth. Is it John Kelly? Has he been called up? Uh, anyway, it's not good. Like, Sean McVay. Has, Raymond Calais and Xavier Jones. 
Oh, right. Xavier Jones. Um, still not great. Not good no. news. Uh, I don't know what where this is headed, but John, it wasn't that long ago that Wake Forest had a certain quarterback controversy on its hands. Uh, John Walford ultimately won and, and did fairly well for himself. But for a minute there, they weren't sure that it was, it was fair to take the other side that actually Wake Forest should start Kendall Hinton. So that's... The listeners know who Kendall Hinton is now, so... Yeah, luckily yes. we don't need to explain who he is, but that's who John Walford was in like a really close quarterback competition with before he took that starting job. That's, that's you know, it's not the... It doesn't open and shut mean that he's bad. And Hinton was a totally viable college quarterback. So it's not like he, you know, he didn't have that Denver game at Wake Forest. But he was still Kendall Hinton, you know, and that's not great. But then just the same, Jared Goff sucks. So I don't know what, (laughs) like, maybe, you know, Walford can move a little bit. So it would be funny and not terribly shocking if the Rams offense just looked a lot different and had a bunch of, like, bootleg trickery that the Cardinals did not see on tape at any point in the in, in McVay's coaching tenure. So they just, they just had no, uh, like, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Walford has a good first half, just kind of getting botched coverages by the Cardinals because they, they don't, they're totally caught off guard by McVay's play calls. Um, but if so, they'll need to immediately, you know, go into the bunker at halftime because the, the Cardinals can adjust to simple stuff like that at halftime. And then they need to go Malcolm Brown mode, which, you know, maybe they get over the finish line. But, man, that is that is a difficult uh, escort mission they have there. That's that's a even if Murray's bad. And I always expect Cliff Kingsbury to get outsmarted on offense. Like his, yes. his off, he's he's terrible, man. Here, let me ask a quick question, John. Do you do you think that Chip Kelly would have ever been fired if Kyler Murray was his quarterback? Man, uh, yeah, that's Cliff sucks, and because yeah. Kyler Murray is an insane talent, people are taking like cautious approaches, like, oh, maybe he'll learn. Just, just try to think about Cliff Kingsbury the way you would very simply if Kyler Murray's rushing yardage didn't exist. It's not difficult. You do that, you look at what's left, and it's like, oh my god, this is garbage. It's not a difficult conclusion to reach, um, but because Kyler Murray is so good, people are like hypnotized into being like maybe cliff is setting him up no he's not cliff is undermining every aspect of kyler murray's play and it's kyler murray who's keeping him employed i'm getting a little bit triggered by watching kyler murray play injured for a guy who would get fired if it weren't for kyler murray being on the field just so that guy can stay employed and make kyler murray's entire career go to waste i really hope i'm wrong about this stuff but um yeah i'm sick of the cliff show and uh, if, if Kyler Murray having a terrible game gets him on the hot seat, then as a dynasty owner of Kyler Murray, I would actually take that scenario. I would I, I really would like to see them fire that guy. Yeah, no, it, it's it's crazy how uh, quickly that it's all worn off as far as, you know, Cliff Kingsbury kind of entering the league as this hot shot, you know, going to going to change uh, the, the way that offense is played in the league and, and really going to try to or get the ultimate results out of Kyler Murray, but it's like Kyler Murray's kind of doing it on, on his own because of, of how poorly uh, Kingsbury's plans have really yeah. translated to, to the NFL. So yeah, it has been definitely extremely frustrating. And uh, you know, if the, if the Cardinals find their way out of the postseason, I think that, you know, Kingsbury could enter the season next year um, with his seat pretty, pretty warm. Let's go Seahawks, Niners, 
Seahawks, you know, I, I saw some some discourse on Twitter about, um, you know, it's been smart to, to bench Russell Wilson over the last few weeks. I don't know what teams you have out there where, like, that's something you feel really great doing, where you're just, like, that loaded at quarterback in a 1QB format to, to really feel comfortable benching Wilson. But I know that, that end of the day, the results haven't been great uh, from him of late. Do you think that changes at all Sunday against the Niners? I don't know. It's a tough matchup, and the 49ers are going to play with, you know, the, it, it's going to be a fiery game on their part. And normally I would look at a team as talented as the Seahawks with, you know, quarterback, wide receiver, wide receiver trio like they have. And I would say it doesn't matter how hard the defense plays. Like the talent is going to win here. The problem is the 49ers have a lot of talent in the secondary too. So it'd be one thing if they were just down to backups or something. But if you have Sherman, Verrett, Emmanuel Mosley, K1 Williams, that's as good of a four corner rotation as any team in the league. And you know, even if the Seahawks have more to play for and even if they're the better team generally, I feel like the 49ers with that kind of personnel are the kind of defense that can really make the day, the game difficult anyway. And uh, if, you know, six points is uh, what the line is now. It was six and a half. I know how bad the 49ers quarterbacks are. It's, you know, I'm, I'm as frustrated by that as anybody. But Garoppolo was bad too. You know, this, is, this has been more of a constant than we might you know, reflexively acknowledge with the 49ers that they always have bad quarterback play. So Bethard or Mullins being out there alone. Yeah. They're, they're worse than Garoppolo, but I don't know if it's enough for me to fundamentally flip the, the, you know, the, the whole take on the, the narrative. I think it's uh, more similar to most Seahawks 49ers games than we, than we might suspect. And if that's the case, then yeah, I expect it to be close, especially since it's in San Francisco. I just don't know what the 49ers can do to actually make it close. Apparently, Jeff Wilson is just the man. Uh, maybe maybe he'll do it. Uh, maybe maybe Ayuk steps up a little bit. Maybe Kittle does Hulk mode on them. I don't really know, but I do think it'll be a pretty close game. And I kind of would be I don't know. 46 is the over under. That's pretty low, so I don't want to say it's lower yet. Uh, but I'm not super optimistic for the higher range either no definitely not and you know that making matters a little bit trickier for the the seahawks you know Dwayne brown brandon shell um and mikey ayupati are all on the injury report as well so you know 60 percent of your offensive line uh playing at less than 100 percent that's definitely not not a great set up um going up against the, this Niners front even even if it is missing some of it, its star power um that that could this one could still be tricky uh for the the Seahawks of course um anything else to add here before we move on to our last game yeah all righty here we go football team versus Eagles uh we obviously know that the football team uh parted ways with Dwayne Haskins earlier in the week um after a tough outing Sunday against the Panthers, among other things, whereas the Eagles, um, they, they, I think a lot of people, myself included, expected them to really take care of business against Dallas. Didn't quite happen that way. Some turnovers were, were, ended up kind of sinking the Eagles there. But yeah, this is a, this is a huge matchup. Uh, we got the football team uh, right now sitting in the lead of the NFC East, but the you know the Eagles are obviously um, still. Um, potential to play spoiler, even though they can't win the division anymore. They were eliminated, eliminated with that loss. But, you know, I think you could definitely argue that they're going to come to play here and that they can 
you know, be served by some some further evaluation of Jalen Hurts in this one going up against the football team. So what are your expectations here? Well, if Terry McLaurin is out again, then I don't know why the, the Eagles are like the underdog here. Washington is still bad. You know, it's like, well, just because they're at the lead of the NFC East with their six and nine record doesn't mean we need to start treating them like default favorites. Uh, it's it's still a bad situation that they're in. So Jalen Hurts probably doesn't set up that great here. I mean, the Washington front four is is really devastating. And the Eagles have had offensive line issues a lot of the year. That's probably going to be a stressor on them. The cornerbacks for Washington are well uh, positioned, certainly. Like they're not – maybe Ronald Darby is just kind of a product of the system. Kendall Fuller isn't. He's legitimately good. And either way, product of the system or not, Ronald Darby is still in the system. It still persists. So we have to assume he'll play at a level that he has for the most part all year. So – I don't really see any of these Eagles receivers getting a good look at it. I, it just it just doesn't look like a good setup to me. I don't think they're playing that well, uh, that they're not producing that well, I should say. So, so Jalen Hurts had a couple just like lucky bounces in his first two starts. We we saw the correction start to occur last week. Unfortunately for him, and like not any fault of him, I think this is a setting where he just is likely to deal with more bad luck. So he can still get the win, and the running should be a pretty constant thing. Like I don't, I don't worry about his running ability being removed from the script. Uh, it's more like you worry about him falling apart as a passer. So the Eagles should try to make this a ground game, and I think they will, and I think it'll work. Um, but that would that would be less likely if McLaurin is out there. McLaurin can torch Darius Slay, whoever else, whatever they try to do. Uh, and I still think Steven Sims is good. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is, actually, and that Ron Rivera is just not good at knowing bad players from good ones. But I don't think he's enough to carry Taylor Heineke over the finish line. And I, by the way, I do think Heineke is better than Alex Smith and Kyle Allen. And whereas I had a problem with Washington starting either of them over Haskins, I'm okay with Heineke starting. I actually think he might be pretty good. Okay. All right. So t- Taylor Heineke time. I'm very exciting. Uh, yeah, for a potential NFC cra- NFC East crown. Tyler Heineke. He's the right man for a NFC East playoff run. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Week 17, brother. You know, br- bring it on. I'm very excited. So th- this one actually, at the very least, will, will be a pretty entertaining um, cap to the regular season. Um, once again, uh, we we got the football team going up against the Eagles. The football team able to uh, clinch the division with a victory in that one. But that's going to round things out for our Week 17 preview. Uh, Mario and I will keep going forward with our NFL podcast during the offseason and, and through the playoffs as well. We'll start to get you guys ready for your dynasty drafts so that we're going to get uh, the combine position by position breakdowns of the incoming draft class a lot to get to a really fun class between the you know a loaded group of quarterbacks uh running back group that uh is going to have a lot of varying opinions on on, yeah. on how it should be ordered and, and the receivers oh man we we just continue to be so spoiled with with um with the receiver classes i mean going back to the 2019 class 20 uh 2020 obviously has been unbelievable and we're going to get 
um, blessed with another really strong crop of rookie receivers in 2021 as well. So from or for Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thank you for listening to us here on the Rotowire NFL podcast. Again, we will keep things rolling through the offseason, get all of your dynasty and, and draft needs covered. Have a happy new year, everybody. <laughs>